our first scripture passage today comes from Matthew chapter 27. And here we read that two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabanakni, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you are thinking to yourself, wait, Lent starts next week. Why are we reading a crucifixion passage? You are having the right thought, because we are going out of order today. But that's okay. Um, because this is right in line with what we have been talking about together over the past seven weeks. The way Jesus uses the memorization of Scripture to move throughout his life and ministry in the Gospels. We see here, as Jesus is on the cross, the same sort of temptations that he faced in the wilderness with the devil are brought up once again. If you get off that cross, we will believe you are the Son of God. This is that same, uh, that same temptation from the evil one. Jump off the top of the temple. The angels will catch you and everyone will know that you are really awesome. It's again an attack on Jesus' identity. We will believe that you are who you say you are if you do something impressive. But Jesus stays on the cross. He receives their insults. He receives their scorn. And then he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, oftentimes in the history of the church, especially the Protestant church here in North America, we have talked about this being the moment where for the, the only time in all of history that the Son did not sense the presence of the Father. We can go back and we can see uh, language from preachers saying things like, you know, the Father turned His back on the Son there on the cross. And it's possible that that's what's going on here. Um, but... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While on the surface, it sounds like this cry of, of pain and this cry of desperation and this cry from someone who feels like God is 
a million miles away, it's also the opening line of Psalm 22. See, here in a little bit, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Psalm 22. Because to understand Matthew 27, we have to look at Psalm 22. So is this what's going on? Is this Jesus in his most uh, vulnerable human uh, experience sensing that God's presence is a million miles away? Or is there something else going on? Is it important for us to understand what's going on here to understand that Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 in the full context of what's going on there? Or is it simply what we see on the surface? Is it what meets the eye? We've seen Jesus throughout the Gospels using uh, the memorization and the recitation of Scripture to overcome temptation, to... um, to get clarity around what is proper worship, um, to, to understand the logic of the Father. And here, once again, we see him quoting a passage from the Old Testament, a, a passage that, that David wrote as part of the worshiping life of the people of Israel. Now, hopefully we have uh, all been memorizing Scripture here over these weeks and um, that it's it's making a difference for us. That we are are finding ourselves as we enter into this pattern of learning, as we enter into this pattern of of planting the Word of God deep inside of us, that it's, it's changing the way that we live on a daily basis. That when we experience things that might be uncomfortable, one of our first thoughts is that that scripture that we've memorized. As we find ourselves um, in awe of something that's happening around us, we, we are drawn back to a scripture that we have memorized. And it brings us back to remembering that what we experience in this world is is the blessing of God, that we are dependent, that we don't manufacture our lives or our futures. Uh, Annie Coulter uh, has been a real champ at memorizing Scripture. I think she has lapped the field, uh, if you include what she did um, in 2020 coming into this year. Um, And she's going to share with us a little bit about her experience of memorizing Scripture and maybe even uh, some of the tactics she uses to do so. Memorizing scripture helps us know the truth and can keep us from error. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Jesus said to the Sadducees when they were trying to trap him, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It is good to memorize scripture and know a verse word for word because memorizing scripture helps to keep us from error. People who work at a bank have to handle money every day. They have to be able to tell counterfeit money apart from the real thing. They do this not by spending time looking at different types of fake money, but by being so familiar with real money 
that they know every detail. That way, when they are presented with something that is false, they will immediately know it because it is different from the real thing. Spending time in scripture and knowing it by heart allows us to know the truth and when we are being presented with something that is false. Memorizing scripture is something that is important for people of all ages to do. As a sixth grader at a private Christian school, I am expected to memorize scripture every week or so. We are memorizing the full chapter of James, and every time we get a, a couple more verses to memorize, I have found myself thinking about what they say and often reciting sentences in my head. One day, we had an assignment in Bible class to look through the Bible and find some verses we like. Then choose one specific to a situation we are in, like anger issues, problems at home, or even depression. And for me, I struggle with anxiety. I get overwhelmed easily and I'm scared of quite a lot of things. So the verse I chose was 1 Peter 5, 7, and it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I really thought that I would never refer back to it. But one day I was going through a situation and I was very anxious and I found myself reciting that verse. So you see, memorizing verses helps us in plenty of ways. They help us become strong and they keep us from knowing and believing false testimony. Heading back to Psalm 22 so that we can understand Matthew 27. We read these words written by David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. So do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Now I ask you once again, what do you think Jesus was saying from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My sense is that Jesus is not so much crying out in his own anguish, but rather he is declaring victory to everyone there around the the foot of the cross. He is drawing us all back to the words of Psalm 22. That even though they mock the one on the cross, even though they hurl insults, they shake their heads, Even though his heart has turned to wax, his mouth is dried up like a pot shard, even though his bones are on display, his hands and his feet have been pierced, the Lord is not far from him. He has not been despised or scorned. God the Father has not hidden his face from God the Son, but has listened to his cry for help. He has done it. Jesus on the cross, in the midst of excruciating pain, with the peanut gallery offering their commentary, calls the faithful to remember that this was the plan all along. This is how God was going to save His people. The suffering of the servant. The one who would be pierced for our transgressions, whose bones would be broken for our iniquity. He has done it. We following the example of our Lord in the midst of our most trying times can use the Scripture that we have memorized, that we have internalized, that has, has seeped into our very centers to remember the promises of God. 
to be filled with hope in times of anguish. To remember the truth when everything looks desperate. You know, I I read Psalm 22, and I wonder how on earth the thought ever gained traction that the Father turned His back on the Son while on the cross. And not only do I sense that Jesus was pretty stinking careful with the words that He chose... But also, I think the Gospel writers were pretty stinking careful about the words of Jesus they chose to record. There is no doubt that the reason why the words that we see in Matthew 27 as a a recitation of the beginning line of Psalm 22 is to draw us back to this reality that in that moment on the cross, Jesus is winning. It's not a moment of defeat. It's not a moment where the Father feels a million miles away. On the cross, Jesus is winning, and he is inviting everyone there who has ears to hear to join him in the victory. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is not the, is not the cries of a man who has lost, who feels like he's all alone. It is the confident declaration that we are winning. Come win with me. Remember the promises of the Father. On the cross, Jesus is not scorned. He is not forgotten. The Father has not turned His back on Him. On the cross, Jesus is glorified. we are invited into that glory. We are invited to share in the victory. We are reminded that we don't save ourselves. That we can't save ourselves. That we receive the victory that has been won by Jesus. That all the the stuff in our lives that is frustrating, that makes us feel like we are losing, that, uh, that makes it feel like God is a million miles away, that none of it compares to the victory that Jesus has won. That when we feel the dark night of the soul coming on, when we feel like we've hit the wall, when we feel like our, our spiritual tank is empty, 
when it feels like, like the lights are off, that God is nowhere present, that we too can come back to the truth of Psalm 22, cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And remember that it's not true. That we haven't been forsaken. We haven't been left to figure it out on our own. We aren't trying to survive by ourselves, but even in that moment where it feels like God is a million miles away, the truth is that he is right here. And by golly, that is good news. We don't manufacture our lives. We don't manufacture our futures. We don't manufacture our salvation or our eternity. God has already taken care of that. He has given it to us freely, and we get to receive Final text today comes from Psalm chapter 1. And the psalmist writes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. But not so the wicked. They are like chaff, that the wind blows away, but therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Ultimately, as we study the scriptures, as we memorize the scriptures, our goal is to be transformed. Our goal is to find ourselves living lives that more and more reflect the character of Jesus. That more and more we flee from sin rather than flirting with it. That more and more we chase after righteousness rather than um, chasing after our own self-gratification. That we discover, as time goes by, that we can trust God and trust God entirely. You know, we, we pray, most of us on a, uh, on a daily or every other day basis, the Lord's Prayer. And we pray for daily bread. And as 21st century American type people, it's hard to wrap our heads around this prayer for daily bread. Because most of the time, we've got a Jackson in our pocket and a McDonald's around the corner. Right? Like, we aren't hunter-gatherers hoping to stumble upon a berry patch. We can take control, at least in our minds, of so much of our futures, of so much of our security, of so much of, of the stuff 
that leads us to, to sustaining life on this planet. But I had an experience this week that has, has shifted the way I, I think about this. Um, so uh, when the pandemic hit, Cindy said, uh, hey, like, bank rates are great. We should buy property. I said, why? She said, because bank rate, wait, rates are great and we have no equity. I said, what's equity? She said, you are clueless, just go with me here. I said, okay, you win. Um, so here this fall, uh, we got a little piece of property over in East Ohio, um, and it's cool, right? It's, you know, the, the, the cabin is ramshackle, so we've been working on it, but, you know, the property's neat and it's, it's, it's great, and we're building equity, which I'm told is a good thing. Um, and... Here about like the middle of October, uh, I was out walking with the boys in the woods and, um, and something that is, is, has kind of gnawed at me for a while um, is that for the last 32 years on this planet, I have been buying all of my food from strangers. And I know I shouldn't care, but I do a little bit. Like, it kind of bothers me. So, so we're out walking in the woods, and there is all of this deer material. And I'm thinking, we could, we, could, we could catch ourselves a deer and not have to buy meat from strangers for, like, two months. Um, so this, this set us down this path of saying, okay, we are going to get a deer, and we are going to not have to buy meat from strangers. Um, it turns out... Getting a deer is really difficult. Um, it is not as simple as I had assumed. I thought you just kind of walked out there and they pranced up to you and said, "Ooh, ooh, here, shoot me here, ooh, ooh, ooh." No, they have a very uh, strong desire to live. Um, so, so you know, through like the. The last week of December and January, like like once a week, I'd go out and I'd I'd you know I would hunt like a caveman, um, which you know I had no idea what I was doing. So really, I just scared them off and they ran away most of the time. Um, but this this past Friday, went out um, and uh, Cindy had gotten the boys and I this this sort of camouflage tent thing. Um, and the, the wind was blowing, so I said, you know what, it is too stinking cold out here to just walk around like a caveman. I'm going to sit in this camouflage tent thing. And I sat there, and I said, you know, I think, I think I've just made a donation to the Ohio Division of, nice, of, of Natural Resources, right? Like, I don't think we're getting a deer this year. Um, but I'll sit here, I'll watch, and it'll, it'll be great. And then, just as uh, the sun was about to set, a couple deer walk in. It was the craziest thing. And, and long story short, we're going to have deer meat, which is exciting. Um, but in the days since, I've thought back 
on all the things that had to go just perfectly for it to happen. Right? Like, I can't control the way they walk. I can't control what way the wind blows. I couldn't control that the neighbor three doors over brought in their cornfield this past week. I couldn't control that because of some extenuating circumstances, I didn't have to be home at 4 o'clock on Friday so I could stay till 6. Like all these different things worked together so that we could have meat on the table that we didn't buy from strangers. So much so that, like, I don't feel like I earned it, but I was simply just one step in a process that was bigger than myself, if that makes sense. And it is, it is reshaping the way I think about even uh, this way that, you know, carrying a Jackson in my pocket, I can go to McDonald's, right? Because, like, I didn't... I didn't get to pick where I was born and who I was born to, right? Like, I, I, I so much of, of our life here in Grove City is outside of my control, right? Like, you know, we went to school and got relatively educated, but, you know, like, even that, you know, we didn't decide to move the university from Cleveland to Cedarville back in the 50s, right? Like, there are so many things that work together that are so far outside of my control that, like, for the last two days, I feel like I've been able to pray for daily bread without my fingers being crossed because I understand how much bigger the world is and how many things have to go just right, just in a particular way, for me to live the life that I get to live. We are, we are not simply the products of our individual decisions. Not even close. Right? Like the, the mythology of individualism that so oftentimes takes root in our culture, that we think that we are these self-made, self-determined agents, it's not only counter-gospel, it's counter-reality. We are the product of a much bigger connected system of events and people, and, and we truly, even with this illusion of being able to secure our own safety and our own well-being, we have to live in daily dependence on God. Because all of it can change in an instant. I mean, even, like, I mean, even something as out of sight, out of mind as the polar ice caps, right? Like, if it wasn't for the polar ice caps reflecting 
30% of the sun's rays back into the atmosphere rather than those rays being absorbed by the ocean, like the global average temperature would be like 130 degrees. <laughs> I mean, like this world we live in is so much bigger than us. There are so many things going on that are beyond our control, beyond our influence, beyond what we can manufacture on our own. Like, it makes your head spin to think about it. We get to live in dependence on a God who loves us and cares for us and has shaped this world in his good pleasure so that we can experience life abundant. And that brings us to the table where... We uh, thank Allie and Michael for taking care of this for us. But the body and the blood of Christ, we have done nothing to manufacture. It is, it is not our work at play here at the table. We are part of a, of a divine system that is so much bigger than us, so much greater than us, but that we get to enter into and participate in. So as we come to the table today, my prayer is that we don't, we don't rest in this false notion that somehow we are deserving of the table, that we have uh, done something that made it so um, this is our wage, but understand that the death and burial and resurrection of Christ and the new life that we are invited into at the table is way outside of our control, but that in God's grace, he invites us to come and participate and be a part of it. So now, may our Lord Jesus Christ go near you to defend you, go before you to guide you, go behind you to forgive you, and go above you to bless you so you may love one another. He lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and even forevermore. Amen.